I think when you're in a position of leadership, you have a responsibility to make sure that biblical justice is done. So there's times of responsibility for you to protect the people who are particularly vulnerable. Welcome to Biblical Counseling in Action. I'm Steve Byers, and this is a podcast that addresses questions like, how do these principles penetrate every facet of local church ministry? What does it look like when biblical counseling starts to impact the youth ministry, or our ladies' Bible studies, or our men's ministries, or the way leaders function together, or the way decisions are made in the church? And what does it look like in the lives of everyday church members who have been trained, or maybe who have been counseled, but now they're continuing to live out these principles in everyday life? That's what this podcast is all about. Welcome back to Biblical Counseling in Action. Today we're talking to Dr. Craig Svensson, who serves as a Dean Emeritus of Pharmacy and Professor of Medicinal Chemistry and Molecular Pharmacology at Purdue University here in West Lafayette, Indiana, and also the Adjunct Professor of Pharmacology and Toxicology in the Indiana University School of Medicine. And you know, when I was first contemplating what this podcast might be like, it was conversations just like this that I had in mind, Craig. So thank you so much for being willing to be with us today. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And the reason I say that is we're, we're very thankful for biblical counseling as a movement. And our church has had the privilege of having a counseling center here for over 45 years now for both people in our church and in our community. And so, so we're glad for that. We're glad for the training that we can offer in that. But part of this whole podcast was to explore the notion of what's the difference between a church having a counseling center and a church being a counseling center? In other words, what do the principles of sufficiency of Scripture and biblical progressive sanctification look like when they hit the streets, but when people are applying them to other areas of ministry or other areas of life? And I think Dr. Svensson's story is a just great example of how you can be very accomplished in your work. I mean, obviously, even his titles show us that God has blessed him intellectually, and he's been a marvelous steward of that. So he's serving as an accomplished academician, but also a college administrator and a marvelous teacher. So how can you be all of those things at a secular university and also hold to the doctrines of the sufficiency of Scripture and biblical progressive sanctification? Craig, you and your wife, Sue, serve in a number of ways in our local church, so there's no question about just your commitment to the church, your faithfulness to our church. You lead a couple of of small groups. Um, Sue serves in our homeless ministry and so many other ways. God has put you together in a very unique way, and I'm very thankful for you. We're grateful just to be His instruments, and it's a privilege for us to be a part of the faith community. Yeah, and you know, even when we were praying before this, I mean, for anyone listening, our, our desire is not to bring glory to Craig or bring glory to Steve or Faith Church or any of that. Our, our glory is, our desire is to bring glory to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and just to stand in amazement at the way he would choose to use people like us in, in all sorts of endeavors. So, so Craig, you know, we, we live here in West Lafayette, so we know Purdue everywhere we look, and we love the university, we love living in a town that has a, a secular university. You're sitting here in a shirt that has the Purdue logo, and so that's just our life. But 
there might be some people who don't know what Purdue is. I know when I travel, some people, Purdue, what's that? And so, so could you tell our listeners just a little bit about Purdue? Sure, for the two or three people who may not know what Purdue is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Purdue is a, a major public research university. We have about 43,000 students on the West Lafayette campus. It's very STEM-focused, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. In fact, we're among the top five in the nation in terms of the fraction of our students that graduate in the STEM field, which actually does influence the culture of the the (laughs) university. And it is also a land-grant university as well as C-grant, which means we have a community engagement mission that a non-land-grant university doesn't necessarily have. Did you say Sea Grant? I don't think I've ever heard that. Before. We are a Sea Grant. You know, we do touch up to the Great Lakes. <laughs> so is that what that means? Sea, yes. like mm-hmm. S-E-A? Yes, correct. I have never heard that yep. before, so I learned something <laughs> on my own podcast. What do, you, what do you know? Well, how long have you served there and in what roles? I came to Purdue in the fall of 2006 as dean of the College of Pharmacy, Nursing, and Health Sciences. At that time, those three schools were together. After about, I don't know, four or five years, we restructured some things in the university, and I became dean of pharmacy. And I served in that role until the summer of 2017. The last year, I also served as the interim dean for the College of Science. So I wore two dean hats at the same time last year. And then after uh, a sabbatical, I transitioned to the faculty full-time. So I spend my time now teaching both in the College of Pharmacy and in the School of Medicine for the Indiana University School of Medicine. We have a branch of that here on campus. And I do a little bit of cameo teaching in the School of Nursing as well. I see. You know, one of my hopes with this particular presentation is that there might be a parent listening who has a child who's interested either in science or in education, but might have a bit of fear of if my son or daughter goes into a secular field, can they really be a a joyful and authentic follower of Jesus Christ and also excel in that field? Or someone who is more prone to teaching and has some teaching interests and gifts, and the the same thing. Can they receive the kind of education and then work in that field and still be a follower of Jesus Christ? And that's really what I'm interested in exploring with you right now is just the intersection of the work that God has called you to do, but also the the things that you believe in. So can you tell us a little bit about how do the, the principles that we wrap together around biblical counseling principles, sufficiency of Scripture, biblical progressive sanctification, how does that play out in your work at a major university? Well, I think first and foremost, personally, because you recognize that uh, your own heart needs And that really impacts the way that you encounter the individuals that you do, whether you're talking about students, fellow faculty, staff, or whoever. You you realize that you're battling your own idols and have to deal with those. And so that certainly drives you in a particular manner that's a little bit different, perhaps, than your colleagues. But of course, I believe that God is the creator of all things. And having the privilege of being a scientist means you're getting to study God's handiwork. And you're getting to communicate to students students, what God has done and what he is doing in this world, even though they may not recognize it as such. You know, the Bible tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. And so when you talk about his creation, what you're really talking about and what you're studying when you study it is what God is doing and what God has done. And so I think for a believer to go into the sciences, you're really studying God's world. You're walking out, and each day you get to say, you know, I'm going to go look at my father's world. It's one of the great privileges of being a researcher. 
And even though mine, rather than being at the stars, has been research in the human body, mm-hmm. I'm still looking at my father's world and what a great work he has done and is doing in this universe. Are there opportunities, whether it would be in class or with just conversations informally, where you're able to make that point, even just the way that you just did, without that sounding overly pious or offensive to somebody else? Sure. I I think it comes out naturally when you're a believer. So, for example, part of the things that I teach is how drugs move through the body, how they get absorbed and everything. And, you know, when I'll talk about and say that there are barriers in your body, and someone would say, we've evolved these different Mm -hmm. protective mechanisms, but I'll say our creator has endowed us with a number of protective mechanisms against foreign substances. Well, obviously, I'm pointing to the creator when I do that. And so I think when you make expressions like that, it does two things. Number one, it helps students recognize, hey, this is a believer that's in front of me. And that has caused some students who are believers to come forward and contact me after class and say, are you a believer? That's interesting. You said that? The, the other thing is you're giving the other students a little different message. Maybe this isn't all an accident that we've been talking about and studying. That's interesting because I've never attended a public university before. My education was in Bible colleges and seminaries, and which is why I'm so glad when God calls a woman or a man like you to an opportunity to teach at a place like Purdue. It's a distinct calling, but it's one that I don't know a lot about firsthand. So you can make a comment like you just made without that receiving a lot of flack. Sure, yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, I've, I've certainly have never... I mean, it just comes out naturally when you're talking about things. If you're seeing the world as our Father's world, how can you not make that kind of expression? Oh, it doesn't mean people might not sneer at you, but that's a very small thing. Well, and isn't it true... I, I don't know a lot about science, but isn't it true that science historically has featured men and women who in some cases, were motivated by their faith. They mm-hmm. And I love the way you just said it. I get to examine my father's world. Mm-hmm. That's what motivated their scientific pursuit. Without doubt, and it continues today. That's when people will say things like, well, you can't believe in science and believe in the Bible. Well, there's a lot of empirical evidence to show that that's just nonsense, mm-hmm. including many very well-known scientists today who are believers, and yet they're they're good scientists. In fact, perhaps the most noted biomedical scientist today is the head of the National Institutes of Health, and he's an unashamed Christian. We might not agree with all his theology, but he doesn't hesitate to proclaim that he believes that Jesus rose from the dead mm. and that our hope is in him. And there are many other scientists that you can point to. So when people will say things like, well, these two things are incompatible, there's a lot of empirical evidence to show that's not true. Well, and I think that's going to be very encouraging to men and women who listen to this podcast. I think it'll be encouraging to parents who might say, boy, I need to steer my child in a different direction or else it will destroy their faith. You're living evidence that that's not true, isn't it, aren't you? Every institution I've been at, I have found faculty colleagues in the sciences who are believers. In fact, one of the reasons I always encourage Christians when they take on a new job to make sure people know you're a Christian as soon as you can is it will surface out other believers. I mean, there's other reasons for it. It help gives you a, an accountability. But I've always believed that when you go someplace new, make sure they know you're a Christian as soon as you get an opportunity to do that because people will come to you. When I first came as dean, they interviewed me for a publication. 
And as a part of that, when they interviewed me and asked about moving and transitioning, I said to them, well, one of the most important things for us is to find a local church because oh. that's that's where we'll find home because our Christian faith is central to our lives. Of course, that got published. Well, I had people contact me who were alumni or who were staff or faculty. They read that and they said, you're a believer? Hmm. I don't know how long it would have taken for us to connect with one another if I hadn't made that very public. And yet the university published that. It's not like you had to publish that. Right. They said that about Our college you. did, yeah. It was our college, yeah. I think that's eye-opening for many of us who would sense that there would never be opportunities like that without the sneering, without the derision, et cetera, et cetera. And that's not the case, is it? It's not. And I I will say there's ways that you can do it creatively to get people to think before they react. Admittedly, in a university, there's a lot of people who have a knee-jerk reaction Mm -hmm. if you say, I'm a Christian. Uh, many times throughout my career, I've been in settings where there's gatherings of faculty, uh, workshops, and things like that. And they'll ask everybody to stand up and introduce yourself, say something about yourself, your mm-hmm. hobbies, or whatever. Sure. And when I would introduce myself and I'd say some things, I generally close by saying, But the most important thing about me is I follow a well known carpenter from Nazareth. Mm-hmm. And people would just stop for a minute yep. and think. So it prevented that knee jerk reaction, but it also let them know what your priority was. Mm -hmm. And often I found people in the workshop come up to me, what did you mean by that? Whereas if I just stood up and said, I'm a Christian, they probably would have drawn one of two conclusions immediately. Either I want to stay away from that person or, oh, I want to get to know that person. Something else about your story, I think, shows that you can be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ and also be promoted in terms of administration. So it's not like, well, because you're a Christian, okay, you'll you'll be hired, but you're not going to be promoted into um, administrative levels. You were the dean. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that may be changing. I think certainly as, as I came through, what people were looking for is your ability to lead, your skills, how well you had done in the jobs that you did. And so I just, I set my nose to doing the best I could, whatever was the task before me, and let the Lord open the doors. That may be changing. I think that there is more opposition to those of us who hold a biblical worldview that's largely coming from the LGBT community, uh, and that really doesn't want anyone in a position of leadership that holds to those views, that doesn't not simply tolerate, but actually celebrate their worldview. So I do believe that Things are closing in terms of opportunities for believers in our campuses, just as they are in corporations. Yep. And we just have to decide, is Jesus more precious to us than professional opportunities? Yeah. And be willing, if, if that's the price for following Jesus, that doors are closed for me, then then so be it. And also just to trust his sovereign hand. Absolutely. That he can promote anyone can. to anything. We stay faithful to him, and then we just trust in what he's got for us next, don't we? You know, I've faced many forks in the road in, in my career. As you know, I've moved around a bit in different institutions, and so there's opportunities. Do I go this way or do go that way? And what I've always prayed is, Lord, open the doors you want me to go through Amen. and close the doors you don't want me. And however he chooses to close those doors is absolutely fine. Wait, what about just interpersonal relationships, whether it is with um, colleagues or other administration or students or, or parents? Do you find truths from the Word of God being a source of direction and a guide in conflict resolution, in communication? How does biblical counseling principles intersect at that level? In many different ways, and 
perhaps as a dean, one of the biggest challenges that you face is you have to deal with the underbelly of the university, which is like <laughs> the underbelly of a car often is not attractive. So you get involved in conflict resolution. When problems surface to the level of the dean's office, it's usually because several people haven't been able to solve them and they're somewhat intractable. And you can walk into those situations and be, you know, mind-boggling as to how could people conduct themselves this way. But when you remember, you know, we do what we do because we want what we want, you realize what's going on here and that it's a heart issue. And the reality is unless hearts change, the problem won't really be resolved. Interesting. And you will frustrate yourself as an administrator if you think you're going to truly solve that problem Mm. without there being a heart change. And of course, you can't do biblical counseling in that context. You can't necessarily point them to scripture, though you can point them to scriptural principles. But first of all, you can work on your own heart and realize that there aren't just two idol worshipers. There's, there's three of us here that That's we need right. to deal with, that we're That's battling. Right. So I've got to prepare myself. But also you can bring the principles of helping people realize that a lot of the heat that's coming from this conflict is the way that you're responding and help them to understand that they do have some control over what's happening. Yes, you may have a colleague here who's rather obnoxious, and you're probably not going to change their personality, but you can change your experience with them by how you respond mm. to what they do. And, and you can apply the four laws of communication, yeah. both in what you're doing and helping them to realize how that can diffuse a situation and teaching the biblical principles, and at times I've, I've actually quoted it, that, that a soft answer will turn away wrath, mm. and helping people recognize that they, they do have more control over conflict than they realize, because so much of the problems of conflict is the way that we respond to it. Yeah, and you know, I hope this conversation motivates me and all of us to do a, a better and more faithful job of just praying for people who are in positions of secular education at all levels. You know, it's one thing for me, when someone comes to see me, they're coming for biblical counseling. It's all understood right up front of what our source of truth is and what we're doing. So I think my job's easier in some ways because we have a common source of truth to which we're turning. You're in a situation where you're dealing with similar conflict, but you've got to think it through biblically, and if nothing else, apply those truths to yourself, Mm -hmm. even if you're the only one in the room who has any interest in doing that. I really think that requires the wisdom of Solomon. It requires even more focus and attention, but praise the Lord for women and men who are willing to do it. You know, it it provides a great help when you realize the Lord's in control. Mm, Yeah. That this situation may seem out of control, and it is out of your control, but the Lord is in control of the circumstances, whatever you find yourself in, Mm. and the Lord can guide you and lead you in the midst of that. And and what that does is it prevents you from having sleepless nights. Yeah. You know, one of the most common complaints uh, about my dean colleagues was the sleepless nights they face because of the problems. That's interesting. Well, it's because they're they're trying to solve problems they really can't solve, and they don't recognize the root of the problem. And to really grab what they can do, sometimes the best you can do is bring the temperature down yep. and minimize the damage. There's also an element I think when you're in a position of leadership, you have a responsibility to make sure that biblical justice is done. So there's times of responsibility for you to protect the people who are particularly vulnerable. Mm. And so as a leader, I would look at those situations and ask, okay, is there a a power differential here where I've got a staff that's very vulnerable to someone who's Mm -hmm. over them? 
And how do I make sure that I particularly care for that vulnerable staff person? And how do I protect them? I've even done such things as physically move people to try to minimize the damage and to try to protect a person that's more vulnerable. That's interesting that you would talk about the opportunities you have to believe in and practice biblical justice. That's really an important role, isn't it? I think as a, as a leader, you face that responsibility. You have to see it as a responsibility. The Lord tells us that we have a role to protect the widows, the orphans, and the immigrants, right? And those are just pictures in the Bible of vulnerable groups. But there are other vulnerable groups. And when you lead an organization, you have a special responsibility to those people, I believe. Well, and I would think that that would create a ministry, even for someone who may not agree with your theology, but if they're convinced that Dr. Svensson is going to stand for what's right— even if there's someone else who might be louder in the room who is trying to influence a conversation a different way. I would think even those who don't share your faith commitments would have a level of appreciation and respect for that. I would hope so. You know, early in my professional training, my doctoral advisor, the first week that I was with him, said to me that speaking about religion is off the table. Mm. I don't ever want to talk about it. (laughs) And I was a young Christian, Mm -hmm. and I had to face the reality of, how do I live in this kind of environment for Jesus? And I I basically built my commitment on three pillars. One, doing everything for Christ, which means doing everything with excellence. So doing the best I could in everything. Number two, as Micah tells us, do everything that's right, justice, Mm -hmm. right? Do what is right every time, Mm -hmm. even if it costs me personal. And then the third thing is to do it with kindness, make sure everything's seasoned with grace. And I've tried to build my professional life on those three pillars. Excellence, doing what is right, and doing everything seasoned with grace. And I think if you do that, yes, there are those who aren't even believers around you that will appreciate it. So let's say that there is a a high school student who's listening into this and, and thinking about going into science but maybe worried about what that might do to their faith. What what kind of advice would you give to that student? Make sure they are always grounded in a local church as they go on that path. Mm. That's what will keep you sound. And one of the challenges of students when they go away to college is they become disconnected to a local church. And then if they go into graduate school, even further. And it's critically important that you not just attend, but that you get engaged in a local church. So that would mean that that would be a real priority for you. And in fact, when I went to graduate school, I set a time frame for myself. I gave myself six weeks to find a local church because I knew I could spend a whole lot of time hunting around. And I said, within six weeks, I'm going to pick a church. I'll visit a couple, but then I'm going to pick. And I, I was a new believer then, but I knew I desperately needed a local church. And that is what has always grounded me throughout my career, is being involved, not just going, but also serving in the local church. I couldn't wander out there without people knowing I was wandering, hmm. because I had responsibility right. serving. People would know whether I was there or not. That's right. People knew things that were going on in my life. And being linked to a local church, I think, is the key as you're walking through the journey of preparing for a career. That's really wise counsel of six weeks. That, I, I like the way that you said that. I'm, I'm going to give myself six weeks to find a church and get busy serving. And, you know, we were talking a little bit before we got started here this morning that I started my day in the dentist chair. And so my, if I sound a little bit funny, it's because my mouth is still numb from what he was doing. But he was telling me that 
his first appointment today was to be in a men's Bible study that you lead, where you're going chapter by chapter through the book of Ezekiel. But then he was telling me that last night he was meeting with a college student, and they, they meet weekly, and last night they were studying through Romans 1, of all mm-hmm. things. And that impacts me in all sorts of ways, but there's a college student who has a hundred excuses to not be doing that, and yet he's set as a priority, not just to be in church on Sunday, like you said, but he's also got a man in his life where they're just holding one or another mm-hmm. accountable, they're studying the Word of God together, and so he's just decided, even as a college student, I'm going to make involvement in the local church an important part of my life. That's so essential. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. What advice would you have for the student's parents? Pray for God's best. Don't try to live out your dreams for your child. Mm. And trust God to lead them and to protect and to guide them. It doesn't mean there aren't practical things you do, but, you know, I have seen too often students choose a field, choose an area, because that's what their parents wanted them to do. That was their parents' dream for them. And, you know, God may have a very different plan than you have in mind. None of us can see down the road in terms of how God will use our young person. So trust God in that and make your aspiration that they will seek the Lord wherever that may lead them. Yeah. So a parent shouldn't be afraid if their child wants to study advanced science. They shouldn't be afraid if they want to become a university professor at a secular university. You can thrive for Jesus even there. And they can have a great mission field. Our universities are great mission fields today because the world is coming to us our universities. We don't have to go there. As you know from our international ministry, we have people from all over the world coming to our universities. So it's a tremendous platform and an opportunity. You know, and I would not have ever known that before I came to Lafayette. As I was going through seminary, I just didn't even think about universities in that fashion. Although I went to schools that were heavily focused on missions, and I'm glad for that. But I know even when I was being recruited to come here to Lafayette, I, I knew that there were, Purdue was here, but it would have never crossed my mind that Purdue was a place that thousands and thousands of students from other countries were coming, and many times very, very open to relationships and very open to church, very open to spiritual things. It really is true that this is a mission field here, isn't it? And the international students tend to be more open because many of them come from countries that they haven't been inoculated to think they know about Christianity and therefore push it aside. And they're interested in hearing and knowing what do you think and what do you believe. Yeah. And you and Sue attend our Faith West campus, which is right near the entrance to Purdue University. And so one of the things I love when I have the opportunity to preach there is to come in and there in our community room, there's a, a group of students, many of them are Asians, who are sitting across from men and women from our church, and they're just learning English conversationally by reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a powerful example of what uh, missions and evangelism can look like. And these students are so glad for the relationships. They're so open to discussing things from the Word of God, and you never know how the Holy Spirit's going to use that. It's a blessing to watch and see. And if we did not have a secular university like Purdue in this town, this church would not have that kind of ministry. Right. And, you know, my own mother, who's a dear widow, 83 years old, 
partnered with a, another recent widow in our church, and they adopted a student from China, a young lady who is here a few weeks early, like many of them come, to get her visa and everything all worked out and all the paperwork and the banking and everything. But their housing's not ready yet. And so we provide housing for those students and then just help them get a car and help them and get their driver's license and everything that just need to be ready to go to school. What was interesting, I spoke at Faith West on Sunday. There's my own mother and another woman who just became a widow there with this student from China, and they were all there to hear the truth from the Word of God. And I thought, my, oh, my, oh, my, what an incredible mission field, what an incredible opportunity. So I'm so thankful for men and women like you who are on the front lines, who are looking for opportunities to take your faith into the secular marketplace of ideas. We need to faithfully pray for you. Friend, if you're listening to this and thinking about the biblical counseling principles, how do I learn more about that? You can jump on our website and you can learn about all kinds of in-person training and guided virtual training and all of that sort of thing. But it's not just to equip you to serve formally as a counselor. You, you can use it in all sorts of endeavors wherever the Lord would call you. So Dr. Svensson, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You can check out more about our ministry at faithlafayette.org. Or if you're interested in receiving biblical counseling training, go to faithlafayette.org conferences. You can find these presentations wherever you normally access your podcasts, and you could really help us just to get the word out by telling your friends on social media that these presentations are going to be available. Our hope and our prayer is that this podcast honors the Lord and is a blessing to you.